producer at snap nate every last beat that you have enjoyed on the show is from our producer nate um just mixing that fuego fuego fueguisimo nate going crazy but enough about that welcome to ain't nobody checking for me i'm rachel jarofsky i'm cody wilkins and we are unchecked for and unfiltered coming to you from the comfort of our own homes we are sitting here talking like nobody's listening because that is a safe bet It really is. It really is. But honestly, we are talking just the same, which brings me to this question. Who are you checking for this week? This week, who am I checking for? This week, I've been checking for something I think we should all check for more often, ingredients. I've been checking for all of the ingredients in my food, specifically now gluten and stuff high in acid. Turns out uh, 2020 wasn't bad enough. Uh, While the world's been crumbling, so have my insides. And now I've I've developed an allergy uh, here in my late 20s as an African-American person, turns out, uh, sourdough's coming for us too. So I've been checking for ingredients. How about you? Okay, this is actually oddly similar. Um, I've been checking for the Grand Army Plaza Farmer's Market, okay? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn, okay? I live in Brooklyn. Uh, But this is what I'll say. Fall fell, okay? Fall has fallen, and I am enjoying it. Um, just sort of taking a Saturday stroll to the Brooklyn Farmer's Market, you know, in right. my baggy beanie and fucking performance fleas looking at, you know, and you I'm go. just buying local, sustainable and feeling like I'm 35 years old instead of um, 19 years old, which I've now been for the last 10 years. Uh, yeah. Just cozy and communal. <laughs> <laughs> well, not too communal. We don't want to get too communal. Oh, yes. Okay, so who is checking for you? You know, I took a long time pondering that question. I looked back into my phone, messages, emails, DMs even, a place I rarely go because the dust practically makes me sneeze. And I got to say, this week, absolutely nobody's been checking for me. It's been great. It's been like not even a trick-or-treater. Nobody. Just, whew, but it's okay. I've been uh, getting a lot of rest. You know, my screen time is real low. Feeling good. There you go. It's always like, it's always nice when it's like, your screen time's down 20% and you're like, living a good life. It is the only pedestal on which I can balance myself to feel better than my peers, which uh, is better, better, or is happier, better. Who knows? Who knows who's to say? Although, for the record, I did text you um, and then waited 12 hours before responding to you texting me back. Um, but I feel like that's how our text game goes. It's just like, it'll come, it'll, it'll, you'll hit me back when you hit me back. Right. Life, life happens. Life happens. Who's, who's been checking for you? Who's been checking for me actually is none other than Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, really? has been, che- he's been checking for me in a sense. Um, I have been phone banking for Biden. <laughs> Not my president. Um, and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Zoom bombed my uh, Zoom phone bank. Um, wow. Yeah. It was, and honestly, like, I was so, I became so straight in that moment. You know what I mean? I was, <laughs> oh my God, Jake. 
Jing, Jing, I know you and Brogang Mountain. You know what I mean? And me and my girlfriend. I've no, only known my girlfriend to be strictly clitly. Um, but strictly clickly clickly <laughs> it should be clickly it sounds better but jake g might just make a young lady lane switch in the 11th hour and you know what i would say have fun go ahead and have fun wow yeah it was a buzz boost for sure but who do you wish was checking for you who do i wish was checking for me i wish like i wish the cdc was checking for me i wish the cdc would call me and just be like yo um you're immune to coronavirus, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are. And uh, and you can go home for the holidays uh, scot-free, and, right. you know, like, and not worry. I wish uh, I wish that was a thing because, whoo, motherfuckers looking at the news, looking at the numbers, thinking, I'm about to just stay at the crib, shelter in place. But we shall see. We shall. We really, really shall. And what about yourself? I, I keep doing this. Well, th- there we go again. Nate, I've made your job that much more difficult just dating the fuck out of the episode. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. Um, that wasn't that dated. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut and paste around in this just as we'll cut and paste this out. The way that things are going right now, we might just be able to run the same clip next year. It's so damn true. So more than anything else that we might be checking for, we are checking for whom, Cody? This evening. We are checking for our guest, a very special guest, whose feet at the moment are in motion, as they always are, because she's making moves, building, as the youth say these days, producing in all the ways, shapes, and forms. We've got the wonderful Rachel Peake. Wow, what a trick or treat. No tricks here, just a treat to have the Rachel Pegram in the virtual studio with us today. Hey, Ray. Hello. How are you both? Amazing. Just so excited to have you. Just just stretching at the face, honestly. I mean, I am grinning ear to ear. I am grinning ear to ear. I guess we should get into it with a little origin story moment. Uh, let's start with who Rachel was to me, and I will try not to sob. So, spoiler alert: um, we've just we've got the platonic love of my life in the lab. Okay, um, she's my writing partner, comedy oh. partners, oh. best friend. Oh. Uh, Rachel and I met at NYU exactly one year ago um, because, like <laughs> I said, everyone on this call is nineteen forever, and. Um, <laughs> We joined Hammercats, which is NYU's sketch comedy group. We graduated and, you know, decided to traverse the Brooklyn comedy world together via our duo. Shout out that shit, Ray. Um, and I also Oh my God, we've been locked out of that account for years. <laughs> for so long. And we do still get new followers. God damn it. And no one knows the password. Oh, um, so that's Rachel. Oh, also, fun fact, um, I did give Rachel her first fake ID back in the year. So uh, back in back in the day, back one year ago. Um, actually, in the future, because we're 19. Right. Back, uh, back when I stopped checking pictures and just checked names on ID. <laughs> <laughs> you know... She was, she was, she was black, so it worked. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's going to be a thing 
that bouncers check for if we ever get back to going out. It'll just get back to, does the color on the picture match the person close enough? Fine, yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. At least for black people. That's how it's worked in my experience. Uh, what a fun experience it was to, to listen to the Rachels and the Rachels, the origins of the Rachels, especially because I got to dip in and out of that story a little bit. But now I'm also just stoked to have you here, Rachel, because professionally, ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Pegram is an outstanding and most enviously working writer-performer from Texas through New York. Now she's found herself in Hollywood where she's written for NBC's Connecting and on an upcoming Kenan Thompson series. And I mean, while you may not be able to see her live and in living color right now, if you want to know what she looks like, you can check her out on Netflix alongside Chris Rock in the week of. So this uh, is a professional, okay, who we're talking to this evening. And we're just so lucky to have you, Rachel. Oh, no. What? No, I'm lucky to be here. You guys, you guys are my aspirations, my my dream folks. I love y'all. Are you kidding? Come on. Oh, Rachel, I saw that week of got a laugh from you. I, you know, <laughs> obviously it's a, it was a big thing, mm-hmm. but also it's so funny whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I guess that's, that is, that's something that happened. I don't know. It was also, you know, it was a multifaceted experience. Um, mm-hmm. That holds a lot of interesting memories that we, this podcast is not about. Um, <laughs> this podcast is not about my, some of my weird memories from being on a movie uh, with my, you know, no longer. And now I'm doing it. So let's just. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all right. Some, uh, some posies, some neggies to that experience. Some positivos, some negativos. But right now, uh, right now we're staying right on topic, which is, which is by asking you, how do you define being checked for? Okay. I guess like. Like I think of it as like somebody like who like who's looking for paying attention to you. No wrong answers. There are absolutely okay. no wrong answers. Okay, and that's going to be troublesome for me because I do like <laughs> to have an answer. Um, but yeah, I guess I feel like it's like somebody paying attention and like keeping tabs on. But also it feels like it has negative connotations sometimes um, as opposed to positive. I don't know. I feel like I feel both. Now, am I just giving a definition or should I go into, I forget. I already am in the midst of answering and I have forgotten the question. And I, for some reason, feel like I'm in school and I am getting it wrong. You said no wrong answers, but it ultimately feels okay. And I'm being punished. And this is actually a really toxic environment for me now. Okay, you have an A plus plus plus. Um, just so many. No, th- I mean that's. I thought, Cody. What do you think? I thought that was perfect. Yeah. Look, not only was it uh, within the ballpark of of what I think, but uh, it was a situation where you were kind of writing the rules. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was what? How do you define it? So you couldn't have been wrong, no matter what you said, and and what, what you said really uh, made sense to me. So. I also feel you on like the negative connotations to being checked for. The imagery that is evoked in my brain is like cheating on a test and you don't want the teacher checking for you. Like something Mm -hmm. like. Or like walking through the corner store and buddy behind the counter is checking for you the whole time. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Like 
watched, like being like perceived and you, when you don't want to be perceived or seen or right. looked at. Mm. I feel that. I mean, I guess that makes me wonder, okay, so we know like we have a sense of what being checked for means to you. Do you mm-hmm. feel checked for right now? I, th- Of course, I think the world of you, I think you're super checked for. I'm like, Netflix, Comedy Central, NBC, right? Hello, may I speak to Rachel Pegram? You know what I mean? They're all calling you with the same fucking operator, uh, aka receptionist. Um, do you feel checked for yourself? You know, I think it's, it's interesting. Even when it's positive right now, it does feel like what what are the reasons that you're checking for me? And like, I know that I have like, you know, ability or whatever, but like, it feels like sometimes it's like, well, okay, we got this black girl who works here. Why don't we just take her and do whatever, do these different things or like, like it's hard for me to not feel like I'm being, or at least have in my mind, like, oh, am I being chosen for diversity? Am I just here to check a box, you know? Or like, are people interested like, are they checking for me? But it's because they're trying to check a box. And like, especially in any situation where you're the only black person there, you're right. going to think like, am I checking a box? Am I here? Am I here because I'm here? Or am I here because, well, we need somebody to be here. And then and then the depths of how you can get checked for as that ambassador, if that's what it's become, you know, or if that's how yeah. you're seen. With that responsibility of being the only one in that space, being the privileged chosen one, you know, a lot comes with the checkery in that respect. Yeah. Like as far as like outside, but then also inside of those spaces where it's like Mm -hmm. people are coming to you to speak for a whole group of people. And also if there's also a perception outside of it where it's like, Oh, well, so you're getting all these things. So you're this representation of all, I don't know. It just like it holds, it holds so much more than I think it should. When you say it holds more than you think it should, where do you think it holds? You know, I, I guess I mean it and, and I should talk about one first. I guess at work, it's it's a tough situation where just like feeling like an ambassador or like feeling like you have to speak or feeling like people are turning to you when certain things are being brought up feels like a lot of undue weight on one person to be representative of an entire experience when there's so many different versions of what that experience can look like. And you're not going to be able to represent all of those different versions, but now you're being asked, being called upon to speak for all these different things where I don't necessarily feel qualified to talk about all those different things and nor do I want to tell necessarily all of those stories for those people. I would like for them to be here. And like, I just feel like, especially in workspaces, you put a lot of undue pressure. I mean, speaking obviously from a black experience, but also from a woman's experience and like to speak to those things as an, like as like a person who should know everything when no one asks that of other folks sometimes in the room and and not to put not to put people on ultra blast but you know semi blast and also clarify things for the listeners is we're talking here about writers rooms predominantly white male writers rooms that you'll at times find yourself in as a you know comedian cv writer yeah well that 
That I, I, I mean, you're you're singing to the, the choir, and everyone's got a, a, a pen and a pad. So far as what I'm sitting, you know, I, I hear you loud and clear. And my my question is then, what's the reality of dealing with that? Like, because obviously you can't speak for, you know, non monolithic black people all at once, because mm-hmm. everything you do from from where I'm sitting is gonna kind of trailblaze more seats to diversify the black people in the room. You know. Uh, yeah. Whether that's your responsibility or not, you know? Yeah. I feel like I'm learning how to navigate it, I guess. Learning how to like be true to my own voice and own experience, but also to not throw under the bus or not like honor the voices who were not brought into the room. So like making sure that I'm still like standing up for or speaking to or just even like being like this this person would be better to like talk about this or whatever like I think it's just about to use such a like you know it feels a little bit corny but but, like passing the mic or whatever like just like I don't know I just think it's like knowing where like you can be the most helpful, but then also knowing like, okay, like we, like I was in a room where we were like writing for a trans woman and it was like, no one in the room was transgender or had that experience. And so it was like, okay, well we clear it. Like at some point it became very clear that we needed to have a trans woman or trans person in the room. And like, that's what ended up happening and like the room was better for it and it should have happened in the beginning you know like that should have been what happened from the jump and also it's like well now this person is in an interesting position you know where it's like you're being called upon specifically for this but also we don't want to tell these stories without these people there um and but I don't think that every group of people or showrunners or whatever think in the way of like, oh, well, we have someone on screen, so we need to have somebody in the writer's room. I think sometimes it's just like, well, we have someone on screen, so that's good enough. And it's like making sure that the that people have that representation and also that we're not using the same lists of folks over and over again and taking chances on people who are new and have different experiences and maybe don't come from you know, like the same like Hollywood folks, like this person's sister, cousin, whatever, and like taking mm-hmm. chances on people who just think differently than you. I think it's so easy for like people who are, you know, like sitting on the bench, like put me in coach, I got hope dreams, which is um an analogy I do every show. Um, <laughs> but like for those folks who are trying to get in the game, it's like this idea that being checked for is this like purely good positive thing like it's like I'm either not checked for and that's bad or I am checked for and that's good but like what I'm hearing from you is like with this checkery comes this very sort of stifling responsibility of like they're checking for this perceived version of you and you're expected to deliver this output where it's just like you know the Rachel Pegram that I know is like a full 360 degree it you know, just no car, no copy. You've never seen anything like her into some cool musical theater, some nerd shit. You know what I mean? Like, 
some random TV shows that now I'm forgetting the names of them, but I wish I, you know, there's like Guardians of the Galaxy type show you like. Come on, it's like they're out, they're out of, you know what I'm talking about, they're in space. It's Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, you know what you serve, but then it's just like, you know, Joe Showrunner is like, we need a black voice who's going to tell us about, you know, life in Cabrini Green Chicago. And you're like, I don't know about life in Cabrini Green Chicago. I know about, you know, hanging out and loving Doctor Who and what, you know, and so it's like, what? <laughs> obviously, you know about so many things besides, I don't know why I'm harping on Doctor Who. Yeah, I actually know a little bit about Cabrini Green as I do have a good friend from Chicago. So uh, you might know her, actually. Her name is Hannah Durosky. <laughs> Um, she's really great. Shout out my sister. My sister's going to projectile squirt at the, um, at the reality. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> wow. I've done a lot of gross things on today, but that makes sense. I mean, I think it's shattering this idea we have of being checked for as like this beacon of hope and amazingness when it's like, no, they're, I'm being checked for in this specific way that doesn't feel like all of who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A very sort of gross, specific, compartmentalized checkery that is still a part of a system that everyone's trying to shake. Damn it, why can't we have good things? Why can't we just have good things? Well, that, you know, I was sitting over here thinking about how I was going to ask, well, you're so busy. Does does happiness still elude you? Yeah, but... uh, I see where now it it ducks and dodges you. It's very mixed, you know? Yeah. I do feel glad and happy with, like, being able to work. Like, that doesn't, like, that is uh, not everyone's working right now, just regular, you know, jobs. And to be working in a job in comedy even uh Right. is is a blessing. I don't take that for granted whatsoever. And like, so it's all with a grain of salt that I'm like, well, I'm happy that I'm able to provide for myself and like take care, like be able to be okay for a while. And I couldn't have said that every year in the last five years. Mm-hmm. So there, so it's, it's both. And not just in a like, you know, and it is just like, I'm doing something that I want to be doing. I want to be a television writer and I'm writing for TV, which is. Praise, <laughs> Praise me. Okay. Okay. She oh said, I want it and I got it and I want it and I got it and I want it and I got it. I want it and I got it and I got it and I want it and now I got it. Hey. That is true. I mean, that's so real. But you know, mo money, mo problems, I believe is how the saying goes. Um, but <laughs> everyone loves that I made that choice. Uh, I feel like. In terms of your path, you know, like we know who you are today, like you, you're out in sunny, sunny Cali, you're writing for TV, but speak a little bit more to like, and obviously I know the story inside out, but speak a little bit more to like your path, um, to like getting to where you are and being a TV writer. Like what was the come up like? Yeah. It went to NYU, um, to study musical theater. And then I got into comedy doing improv at UCB 
And then also doing Hammercats with Ray J, uh, which was mentioned. Um, but I feel like Hammercats was the first time, well, it, seeing improv was the first time that I thought, well, maybe comedy is what I want to do. And then being on Hammercats really made me realize that like, oh, I really do want to write and I want to like get good at writing. And because I felt always so bad, like whenever I was on Hammercats, I mean, I think Ray J can attest, like I constantly second guess myself and my ability. I mean, listen, I'm not over it, but I, <laughs> but I definitely did it then and had no reason, no, nothing prior to, to give me any kind of support anyways. Uh, yes. Yeah, so doing that and like, perf- and then once I graduated, I feel like we started doing our show rage, like when we, or I did peas in a pod with you and then we started a little later that shit, Ray. And I feel like doing the show helped a lot to like, and like hosting it monthly and preparing for it and like really making it like all of those performance opportunities made me feel more comfortable on stage and also helped me find my own voice, especially outside of college. And I feel like all of that was like super like I because also just like at that time it's like we were performing more on stage just around the city like doing more stand-up doing more like characters and stuff and I feel like all of that was really really helpful just for like just for knowing you and what makes you funny and what like you want to do outside of a group and what you want to do like just with yourself um and how did that turn into television so yeah, okay, that's because that's the that. turn right there. That's the turn. <laughs> oh well, so yeah, so I guess you know I had a few different uh, managers. You know, you get some managers, they and come then and they go, they come and they go. <laughs> they're just not the right folks, and then you get some new ones. And I feel like on my uh, you know whatever round of getting my most recent ones was when. I like got, I, oh, so it was that I finally finished my pilot. I started working on my pilot when I was doing the week of, that's what it was. Okay. I'm really sorry. I wasn't prepared, but I, when I was doing the week of, well, right before I got it, it was the most incredible thing of my life. I was so excited. I was like crying, screaming on the phone. And I remember after I got it, my reps, my agents finally like actually signed me. I was just like a little like side client and they were like, okay, we're actually going to sign you. And I was like, so, so pumped. And I remember the first thing I asked him, I was like, will you email like SNL? I want to submit a tape. I was like, I want to do it. This is the year I want to finally do it. Like this stuff is coming together. And he was like, we don't have any connects, but we'll figure it out and we'll get you somebody who can help you make a tape. And then I remember before the shoot started, I was like, I'm going to be working with Chris Rock and like Adam Sandler and Rachel Dredge and like all these people that I admire. And I was like for weeks and weeks at a time. So I was like, oh, I need to like be ready just in case like I should like get a pilot ready so that like if somebody asked me, Rachel, what do you do? What are, who are you? What do you want to make? I could like show them. And so I was like, OK, I can't like just like flit around about it. So I remember I like finally sat down and like started working on my pilot. I did not finish it by the time the movie was done, but I did like start it. And like also that's when I got my tapes in to SNL and that 
whole process began and testing and all of that. But like uh, having my pilot done and then slowly working on it, editing it. Over, be interested like, in this. You're talking about screen testing for SNL. I had to cut in because folks are going to be like, oh, <laughs> You know, if you want to hear about that. I'm sorry. Yeah, wait, you skated right past that. I'm sitting here now. Okay, wow. Well, all right. Yes, I, yeah. So I, that was, it was a very crazy process, but I did my tape myself. And very incredibly, Rachel Dratch helped me with my character set. It was crazy. She came to my apartment in the East Village and like, luckily none of my roommates were there because they would have absolutely freaked out. I was freaked out to have Rachel Dratch in my home doing my set for her, like four feet away from her as she sits on my couch. Like it was very surreal. Um... But I, I got... Why didn't you go to hers? You know, it's really hard to say how it all panned out. It really only ended up this way because we happened to be sitting next to each other in a scene. So we were like joking with each other. And then I just was like being bold as hell and was like, I'm sending a tape in for SNL. Can you watch it or help with it? And she was like, yeah, let me get your phone number. And then she came. Wow. But... um. She's so nice. Um, but on set, it was like I worked I worked on it and I like ended up getting like the whatever the, the um, uh, not a screen test, but like, you know, a stage. What is it? Showcase a showcase. Uh, and then from there, even to go to the screen test was like a whole thing, because apparently I was supposed to be in a scene that was shooting the same time as my screen test. And everyone was like trying to work around it and they weren't figuring it out. But like everyone was getting involved. Like Adam Sandler kept coming over to me being like, we're going to get you for that test. Don't worry, Rachel, we'll get you in there. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then Whoa. finally, it was like Robert Smigel, who was like, you're testing for SNL obviously we're going to find, we're just going to replace somebody. But this was like day of, like the day of the test. And I thought I was still going to go to set, but also I thought maybe I was going to go get to test or maybe this dream was not going to get to happen at all. And they like figured it out. And I like had to then like completely switch into prep mode. I remember like the whole day I was like running my set over and over and over, like getting all the timing right and all of that. Um, it was, it was such an insane process but they were all so supportive they were just very like um very nice and uplifting uh but that supportive. was that of course that show yeah. ended up sleeping um for four years straight uh they right. slept oh they do wake up wake up snl wake up snow wake up snow a little shorthand for snl no i do feel like i mean i've all that is to say i feel like brooklyn comedy scene was where you found your audience um, in a lot of ways. Um, and I feel like something that you and I have lamented is sort of like the segregated nature of the Brooklyn comedy scene in terms of like mm -hmm. being able to be in touch with like, and I feel like for our show, we've, we, that shit Ray thrives with a diverse audience. How is that something that you've like navigated is sort of like, one, finding your your audience, and two, kind of like dealing with the white ass fucking audience that might be there along the way. I think it's inevitable that you're going to play like to more white audiences just in where 
where we were like doing comedy in Brooklyn, as you said, like, I think finding those other folks, like I feel like in sh- like doing shows, like doing that shit, Ray. Although sometimes we've ended up with some like white audiences, but just because we're doing a show in Park Slope right. where like the people who are going to walk in off the street, you know, and again, you know, well, guess what? Like because of gentrification, there's just going to be more like white folks coming into those shows. But I feel like the times when you're like actively trying or like the times when we're like actively like, you know, asking friends or asking people to come from who are like from all different backgrounds or whatever. Like, I think an example of that is like also like outside of us is like, you know, like X, she does potato salad and it constantly has such a like diverse uh, audience and like I and like gets like and from all like you know like diverse and like diverse not in diverse and like you know okay we're only talking about like a certain type of folks just like it's lots of different people and lots of different backgrounds and experiences and socioeconomic levels and just like people to come together and enjoy stuff so and I feel like whenever you do whenever I have done shows like that I always feel reminded that I'm doing the right thing because like there is a little bit of like I (laughs) I don't know if you feel this ever Cody but sometimes I feel this where it's like I feel like I don't I don't ever want to be like not doing it for the people like I don't ever want to not be doing something for black people I don't want to ever not be uplifting us and so I like but when you play to only a certain group of folks you sometimes can get like okay wait like they're laughing but like am I doing stuff like just for them to be laughing I don't want to just be making white people laugh and like are these jokes like the kinds of jokes that I and then when I play in front of an audience of like not predominantly white people it's like I'm reminded like okay cool like you know not all like my instincts are correct my what I'm doing is correct and like these jokes aren't just like for like just meant to be palatable like it's like this is what I want to be saying and it is for the people that I want to be saying it to even if I can't always be saying it to them or this like comedy can't always be for them um that that feels like the right instinct to me. And listening to your story, it feels like your instincts have been correct and led you in the right direction a lot of times. And and one specific instinct is the one it sounds like to just to stay ready. You know, it sounds like you mm-hmm. you remain prepared, uh, which is kind of whether you're being checked for or not, the best way to be is ready. You know, you uh, you get ready to go and you're going to be on set with all these people who are talented, who you could learn from, connect with, possibly, you know, grow with and all that. And you want to be prepared, have the, have the pilot going in. And that's great. Uh, and, and also my favorite thing about your story is that you, you, you're taking the torch and you're picking up and running with it and looking around going like, wait, who else needs their stick lit? This is a, this is a, this is a team effort. That is, uh, inspiring to hear. And, and, and I, I think about all that and one specific question comes to heart and that is, um, if you were thinking about all the people who are checking for you, who do you wish wasn't? <laughs> you know? Oh, no. Um, Like, on my website, I have, like, a thing 
what like is a, it like a little, like you know, a contest like a little, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. And I wish I didn't always have that because mm. it feels like some of the most random people. Sometimes, most of the time, is people just being nice or mm-hmm. you know looking for you know something. But then, you know, sometimes it's just people really coming in for. And this is why I felt bad because I don't want this. Per- I don't know who this person is, but there was like somebody in there like really wanted advice and were like sending me things. And I was like, I don't know. I don't really want. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to give you but- advice. Yeah. But but I feel bad. You know, someone really should. Whoever you are, if you're listening to the pod, you should get somebody should give you some advice. Um, But I just didn't want to do it, you know. Um, And I guess I wish (laughs) this one person like that's the reason why I felt bad. It's just one person came to mind. And it's just this one person who sent me a message. He was definitely just being nice. But I just remember feeling so annoyed. But I think it was because people were really abusing that feature on the website for a while. You give them an email, they turn it into a request line. And that is just not right. That's not what it's for. So no. it's not fair. It's just not fair. <laughs> it's fine. It's honestly fine. It's they can continue. I don't want anyone to. Um, obviously, I care about people's uh, perception of me a lot, so I <laughs> don't want anyone to be mad at me. Wait, I'm gonna say um, this one time and one time only for a person who is abusing Rachel Pegram's <laughs> comment on her freaking uh, website. By the way, can't remember the last time someone messaged me on my website. Uh, should I delete it? <laughs> TBD. Um, anyways, that person better stop. But before we get out of here, if there is one thing that you want listeners to go check for after this drops and then goes fucking viral, I'm talking clickety clack. Everyone's trying to listen to it. What is that one thing you want listeners checking for from you? Okay. I want people checking for okay yes y'all should be like what are do y'all have like sets that you really both like of yours online mm-hmm. uh maybe i do i feel like y'all need to drop your whatever like i feel like i want people checking for both of y'all i want oh, people oh, checking oh, for your set I want people to check for both of your sets. I want to make sure they're online somewhere. And whenever y'all post this, you, and you can't, you have to post the links to both of your sets. You can't not do it. And it's my request. My request is that they check for the both of y'all. If they don't know, then they should know. And if they already know, then they'll be reminded. I can't believe that is the most pass carrying the torch. Who else needs a light? I was just about to say, there she goes. Case and point Pegram. That's what they should call her because that's what that was. (laughs) I can't believe she just told people to check. She wants people to check for uh, for us. She, she, in all of her checkery, came on, ain't nobody checking for me, and said, everybody check for them. Wow. That's so nice. Yes. That is so nice. But also, you can follow Rachel Pegram on all social media, <laughs> freaking lanes and avenues. I'm talking IG. I'm talking Twitter, cool. Twitter. Um, that's at I am Rachel Pegram 
on both, right? No, yes. it's two different ones. No, sadly, it's two different ones. And you know what? Now I kind of got to get into it because famously on podcasts, <laughs> I do get into this story. And I will just say, I don't have, I I am Rachel Pegram on, uh, wait, no, I don't have at Rachel Pegram on Instagram because my brother's former wife took it from me, but she doesn't post. So (laughs) I would be fine if she stole my handle and posted, but she doesn't post. That sounds like the pettiest piece of strategy (laughs) that I've ever heard of. She took your handle and left the family? She took your handle and left the family. She's kept the name for so long. Somebody in my family is going to listen to these one day and be like, Rachel is pissed about this. And then she's going to reach out to me and she's going to be like, you can have the handle. We don't even know each other that well. I was so little when she wasn't in the family anymore. Anyways, it's (laughs) fine. But yes, it's at I am Rachel Pegram on Instagram and at Rachel Pegram on Twitter. But also, if you want to friend me on Facebook, please don't. Um, please don't fucking friend me on Facebook. Don't be a fucking idiot. I'm not <laughs> taking any new friend requests. Have you guys been getting friend requests lately? Sorry I've to I've stopped looking. I washed my hands of Facebook recently. I have fully deleted oh. my profile. It's all Ooh. Russian bots. I'll, I'll be moving That's to the good. Russian hills in no time. It's That's all good. Russian bots. And to this I say, not this time, Putin. All right. <laughs> on that note, guys, this has been Ain't Nobody Checking For Me. I'm Rachel Jarofsky. I'm Cody Wilkins. This is Rachel Pegram. We out. All right, y'all. We have a new podcast to recommend for everyone looking for their sports fix. Fellow Chicagoans Sean Little and Nick Harvey are the hosts of No Catch Up. It's a real cornball-free sports talk show. Listen in as Sean and Nick chop it up about the latest in the sports world with the unique Chicago perspective. That's No Catch Up. Sports talk via Chicago. Tune in to new episodes weekly, including Bears postgame recaps. Subscribe to No Catch Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.